Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking about the quarantine godsend that is Animal Crossing's New Horizons, as well as the first three episodes of season three of Westworld on HBO. But before we get into that, how's your quarantine going? Um, yeah, so <laughs> my quarantine is pretty much the same. Like I am still going to work. I'm considered essential. Um, yeah. so I go to work. I, you know, go to work. I come home. I play games. I watch TV. My life is pretty much the same. I think I'm, I'm, just, going to, I'm just going to the grocery store more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, and I guess that's kind of why it's, you know, with a quarantine and with, all that stuff you think we'd have time to ramp out a bunch of episodes of this but um i guess because my life is kind of the same and um it's we're still on a regular schedule yeah there's been some changes in my life i think you were being polite and letting me (laughs) talk about the extent of them um but yeah for anyone listening i guess i've been furloughed temporarily by my company which basically just means they're not going to pay me for a period so um, the reason I've been very busy the past few weeks is kind of just looking for jobs. Um, and so, you know, two weeks has gone by really slowly, but it's also flown by really fast and we realized it's time to put something new out there. Um, but yeah, my, my quarantine's, uh, a little different from yours. Um, I'm lucky to have three roommates, one being my girlfriend, Shannon. Um, and so, you know, I, I would really wonder what quarantine would be like if it was, you know, someone living by themselves or, you know, maybe just like a significant other. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done everything in the book I've gotten through. I read a whole leg of the game of Thrones anthology. Um, I let Shannon paint my nails a few times. I just dyed my hair blonde. So (laughs) (laughs) I've done four to five Instagram challenges that I probably wouldn't have had there not been a quarantine. So, um, but among those things, uh, I also started playing Animal Crossing on the Nintendo Switch. Um, and we can kind of get into that a little bit. But obviously this quarantine has been really affecting people and at a really large extent. So last Monday, over one and a half billion people were asked to stay home on Monday. That's not just the U.S. Obviously, there's not a billion people in the U.S., but across the world. I know, you know like India had a pretty strict shutdown last week as well. Um, and it's at the point in the U.S. where uh, a national shelter-in-place could be on the way, but at the moment, 44 states have some degree of a shelter-in-place order. I know uh, our home state of Virginia just put in a order through June 10th, I believe. Yeah, Is that correct, Kyle? It's, uh, I only know that because now I can't get my hair cut for another <laughs> like two and a half months. So I don't know. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to have to buzz it myself, maybe. Yeah, you just buy one of those like self um, haircut kits. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, obviously it's affecting people in a big way. And while we're still allowed outside for walks and trips to the grocery store while keeping a six foot social distance from each other, the quarantine obviously has resulted in, you know, increase in anxiety due to concerns about the virus and maybe its implications on the economy or your social life. Um, of course, decrease the social interactions with anyone outside of your household, um, outside of maybe, FaceTimes or Zoom calls or things like that. 
and really just general feelings of being trapped or cooped up. Um, I guess the word that's probably more commonly used is stir crazy. I know I've had a few days where the isolation has just really gotten to me. So the release of Animal Crossing New Horizons really couldn't have come at a better time. So it was released last Friday, March 20th, uh, I guess a week and a half ago, really. And so far has proven to really starkly contrast what's going on in the world. It's a life simulation game that's played in real time. It's devoid seemingly of stress and panic and full of what can only be described as wholesome content. As you develop your deserted island community, catch bugs and fish, and hang out with friendly neighbors. And I don't know if you've noticed, Kyle, but it definitely like blew up on social media. And I can't help but think it's really just people trying to seek some sort of um, refuge from the isolation. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, what's really interesting is it kind of, you know, it's just kind of helping people take their minds off of everything going on with the coronavirus. Um, there's a few interesting dynamics to this game that will, might have been missing from some of the previous titles. Apparently, there have been like five Animal Crossings, which I wasn't aware of. I think it just took a global pandemic for people to realize um, the beauty of Animal Crossings. <laughs> um, well, I've never really paid attention to the series because I've never really been a big Nintendo player. Um, yeah. I had like a Game Boy and stuff growing up, play Pokemon, but in terms of like 3DS Same. and like hardcore Nintendo content, that was just never my my realm. So Animal Crossing for me just never really existed in my in my realm of playing games. Yeah, and I'm kind of the same way. You know, I played Nintendo 64 when I was younger, um, and I got the Nintendo Switch just because it seemed like a pretty cool console and was looking for something for me and Shannon to be able to play, which were like Mario titles. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Animal Crossing gameplay is definitely perfect for this sort of period of social social isolation. So, you know, a few interesting features are the in-game economy. So you basically move the game forward by paying off your debts. Um, and there are multiple ways for you to get money, whether that's like selling fish or fruit um, or traveling to other islands and, you know, finding strange species and bringing them back and selling them. Um, and that's really what keeps the game moving forward. There's also sort of an island hopping mentality. So you basically start off in this one island um, and you develop it, build houses, and um, again, like kind of bolster the economy on your island. And then through either local play or online play, um, you can go and visit friends on their islands. And they oftentimes have different wildlife or um, different uh, you know, fruits and veggies and things like that. So in the current situation where people are social distancing, it's nice because you can still sort of interact with your friends and the game encourages you to do so. Um, beyond that, I guess previous Animal Crossing titles have basically relied on stores where you can go and buy things. And what this title has introduced is crafting where you can basically... Um, you don't have to wait for stores to be open because they're in real time. So if you're playing at night, you can craft tools for yourself or you can craft furniture or clothes, um, all sorts of things that allow you to basically play outside of the hours of a store that old titles you could limit you to. Um, so I, I've been playing this for quite a few hours while we've been in social, social isolation. Um, I know Shannon has put in many more hours than me. Um, the only bad thing I've noticed about the game is that the like 
local multiplayer progress is only available for the first profile that plays the game on the same console. So me and my four roommates share the switch that I bought a few months ago. And one of my roommates created his profile first. And so he gets different like cutscenes and um, basically milestones throughout the game that he, that I can't get past until he unlocks. Um, so if you're planning on playing this with a household, keep that in mind. Um, and either buy another switch or put up with not being able to progress in the game. Did you think that, so whenever you're playing the game, there's not, is there an end game or is it just play until you've, you know, build this community? Yeah. I mean, I seemingly don't necessarily understand what the end game is besides, like paying off your current debts. It's it's honestly a lot like real life. <laughs> so you kind of interact socially with your neighbors. What you do on a day-to-day basis is up to you. You don't really have missions. Um, but for instance, when you first get to the island, um, you have to you are put in debt for your like move-in fees. So this organization called Nook um, basically sets you up with a tent and some basic tools on the island and you have like a 5,000 mile debt. So one of the currencies is called miles and the other currency is called bells. Um, and then once you pay that off, you're able to apply for like a home loan <laughs> and then you pay that off and the game keeps progressing that way. Interesting. Um, I would say it's more of like a catharsis than anything than like a mission based style of gameplay. Hmm. Okay. I don't have a Switch. I had a Switch, so I won't be playing Animal Crossing this time around. But you never know. Yeah. And then for those of you who may plan on playing or have seen kind of the buzz on social media and think about getting the game for yourself, I have a few quick tips just from what I learned from playing the game. So um, obviously fishing and hunt and foraging for food are big ways to earn money early on and your fruit is worth more or fruit fruit from other islands is worth more on your island. So if you get the chance to travel outside of your island, definitely prioritize doing that and picking up kind of foreign goodies from those islands. Um, bugs and fish are definitely fast ways to make money. Um, try and find those in different times of the day because there are some that come out only during certain times of the day. Um, and also seasonally. Um, and then besides that, shaking down trees and rocks on your island are also good ways to find money. So you'll discover all this stuff as you go. There are some kind of hidden gems that you'll find online, like ways to plant money trees and things like that. But um, you definitely kind of have to dive in to get the full experience. Um, And this game is not cheap. I think it was like $60, but so far it's provided uh, provided a lot of relief for my roommates and I. Wow. That's actually more than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was definitely more than we thought it was going to be too. Um, it's kept us busy though. Hmm. Okay. Well, something that is keeping us both busy, a little segue is Westworld. So, um, you know, so Westworld is back and, you know, this love it, hate it, love to hate it. The most (laughs) compelling and I, and I think frustrating, um, but pretty like insightful, and one of the most downright confusing shows that I've ever seen has 
returned for this long-awaited third season. We kind of talked about it on our exclusive Westworld user's guide um, a couple weeks ago. Um, and Westworld season three is something of like a soft re- reboot for the series. Um, as key host figures have, you know, now made their way outside the park's walls and have like these grand plans for the pretty much the world at large. Um, mm-hmm. But the world at large, as we know, has plans of its own, of course. And the season premiere, Parse Domini, sets the stage for pretty much like this radical shift in the series narrative that I think um, kind of holds true to like the original story plot and side of like that narrative we're talking about in the first two seasons. Um, but overall with the series so far, what are your kind of initial thoughts on the, the season three of Westworld? Um, so my initial thoughts are largely positive. Um, I think, you know, we're fortunate to be doing the podcast after three episodes and it's kind of given us a little bit of a runway to see what we're working with. Um, and the thing that I definitely say is that the same themes about like um, data collection by large corporations and like humans dependence on technology still run true, like you said, to those season one and season two narratives, as well as, you know, Dolores's wrath, um, obviously, is very consistent with the first two seasons. Um, the, the one thing I've really liked about this season is they've definitely toned down the amount of like, mind-numbing confusing puzzling twists that you just feel utterly lost when you're watching the show there's still there's still a degree to that but i don't know if you've noticed it as well it they seem like they've kind of cranked that down a little bit Hmm. yeah it's um certainly not as puzzly and some of that stuff i think watching it i don't remember which episode it was but there was at some points where they were kind of explaining things and i thought it was a little bit like not backhanded but if this was like the first or the second season, they definitely wouldn't have gone that much in depth in making sure the audience is like understanding what's going on. Sure. I agree. Um, and like, even though they are doing that, I, I definitely noticed what you mean, you know, kind of writing very obviously um, sort of the plot progressions and not leaving much to be inferred by the reader or by the viewer. Um, but I think that was kind of one of their faults in season two is like season one's twists were like pretty they made a lot of sense um and season two i think that they were trying so hard to outdo all the fan theorists and like reddit users that were so fervently making predictions about the show that the plot just turned into this like crazy like mishmash of like trying to outdo these fan theorists right um Whereas this one, they can sort of focus more on the core themes um, and the character motivations. And so far, it's proved to be pretty entertaining. It still has like a fair amount of twists and, um, you know, like unknowns out there, but it's a lot easier to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember I, and I still do, I listened to a pretty insightful, another podcast that um, you and I both listened to, but. Um, and I remember listening to them the first and second season and sometimes they would get really deep into fan theory and it almost would mm-hmm. ruin the show for you. 
or they would predict things and kind of talk about things that you wouldn't even think about. And then it actually happens and you're like, well, that wasn't really much of a surprise um, because I've already talked about it. Yeah, no, I I know which podcast you're thinking of as well. And yeah, I mean, it is cool to see people kind of speculate as to what the next moves are going to be in the show, but you're right. It makes it for a little less entertaining. I I don't think we'll get too heavy into predictions after episode three, uh, you and I, although there is, there are some kind of outlying questions that um, I at least have as a viewer um, that I think are worth at least touching on in the show. Um, I think what is really cool is as you alluded to earlier, they're basically out of West West world and they're into the modern world and, you know, their take on, you know, what LA would look like in, I forget what the time period is like the 2080s or something like that. Yeah. I don't think we get an, a, an exact date. We just, and, the, the writers are good with kind of hiding that stuff. Cause I was looking on like cell phone screens and computer screens, trying to see if I can see mm-hmm. a date anywhere. And I couldn't, all we know is that it's like three months after the ending of season two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say like kudos to the production designers for sort of imagining what would a semi futuristic world look like. That's sort of grounded in our own perception of the modern world. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think what they've done that's really cool is they haven't expended a ton of money on CGI. Instead, they found these very futuristic-looking places in, I know, Singapore is one place they've filmed on location, um, as well as Spain, um, like the museum, the City of Arts and Sciences or something like that. So um, they've done a really good job of when the story is taking place outside of Westworld that it looks really believable. Well, that was one of my initial thoughts was like i don't know if there was a budgeting thing or they're like like you said they're not using cgi but whenever they're all in the i guess real world which Mm -hmm. who knows if it's the real world um right (laughs) that there's there's like no people around there's like some people and like the background of the mainframe, but Mm -hmm. the streets like seem empty and i know i think they mentioned that it was right after like there was recently a war that had happened but it just oh yeah that's right it just seems like the cities themselves are very empty yeah i think that is probably a budget thing i know from the behind the scenes of each episode it seems like they expanded a lot into you know they custom designed some of the vehicles that they made for the show which are you know that's a, a task in itself and that costs a lot of money um because like you notice anytime that anyone's driving there's no other cars on the road too yeah <laughs> um but uh, I think besides that, they you know they've done a good job with creating this futuristic city, devoid of pat- pedestrians. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did notice that. Um, did you see? I think it was episode one where they were showing this uh, Rehoboam like Rehoboam th- thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, when it's the white background with black. It when they went to London, it said London. U, UWE or something. It wasn't the United Kingdom. It was something else. Huh? Did no, I didn't that? catch that. Yeah. Um, I do have some points about those transitions, though, with that sort of black circle. So I think at this point, it might be good to let everybody know we're about to jump into um, sort of some retellings of the plot here and some discussion of some spoilers. So if you haven't watched any of the episodes and you don't want them to be spoiled, now would be the time to tune out um, and we can get into the plot. 
Um, So I guess it's not really due to talk about the Rehoboam without talking about some of the earlier events. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, basically at the end of season two, we're left with um, Dolores making it out of the park with a few of the control units of some of the hosts that she had just zapped into the cloud. Um, And she gets out, I believe, in Charlotte Hale's body. Um, And one of those host is bernard who she she sends off and he basically is um kind of on the run in hiding when this season opens um and dolores is seemingly on a vengeance um hunting down um i guess these shareholders in delos which is this company in sight which we're led to believe is sort of this google-like company in this futuristic world right do i have that about right (laughs) Yeah, I think I think that's about it. They just collect people's data without their permission. Sounds like Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that kind of analogy was pretty clear. Um, you know, as she's sort of um, seducing, not really seducing, but sort of buddying up to the um, heir of this company mm-hmm. um, to ass- assumingly get closer to this Rehoboam and learn more about it. Um, and the Rehoboam basically is this device that um, is sort of like a <laughs> an aggregation of the world's data, which then basically calculates someone's like life score. Right. And that's what kind of the sense I got after the episode three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I've kind of been leaning into is that those like, transitions in between scenes with the black circle um you know like the one most recently in episode three was like elevated scrutiny in san francisco which i think is basically pointing to the fact that that's like the rehoboam being self-aware and aware of the threat to its like control of society i I don't know if you if you got that sense i took these anomalies and the scrutiny levels just being that machine kind of picking up on host around the world. Mm. Like whenever we first start out in season one, we're in China where there's an anomaly because Dolores is there. Um, and then London, the same thing. However, in LA we get an, an anomaly and the only person there is our new character, Caleb, which lead some questions to his situation, but Hmm. we're not there yet. Yeah. So, and I think that's probably a good segue into this new character. Um, so Caleb played by Aaron Paul, obviously a new addition to the show. Um, and he is this, um, basically army veteran, um, who's suffering with some sort of PTSD issues. Um, his mom, I believe also has like Alzheimer's or something, and he's trying to kind of eke out an existence as a construction worker while also taking like side jobs with um, this app called Rico, which I think is like a really cool projection of what might be in our future. This sort of like blockchain black market where people can hire criminals and have like fair transactions. Everyone just gets Grand Theft Auto missions sent to their phone. Yeah, it was like Grand Theft Auto meets The Matrix. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, black markets always scare people. 
Um, that's always like the argument against legalizing drugs, but imagine a black market where there's no like intimidation or organized crime. It's just like, I'll pay you what you're owed. You do what you need to do for me. And that's like the end of the transaction because of the security of blockchain. Yeah. Um, And it's through, it's through Caleb again, played by Aaron Paul that I think that as an us as audience is really kind of introduced to what this real world looks like in, mm -hmm. in Westworld. And it's, it's cool that I think the showrunners, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, of course, are, are interested in kind of exploring like these themes of um, like determinism and free will and, mm -hmm. and, and not if like free will exists exactly, but that was kind of like season one and two, but more of like the idea of setting all of like humanity on some sort of predestined path, like via this algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the other thing that I was picking up, was that like humans essentially want that determinism mm -hmm. and the robots want that like free will when you would think that the rigidity and like certainty of the deterministic view would be more suited to like a robot and the free will would be more suited to like a human. You see the humans in this real world using these like implant things that allow them to sort of escape to other environments or like escape the real world. So it's like the humans want the virtual and the robots want like the real, the humanity. Um, and it almost makes you want think like, what are they fighting for? If they both want the other so bad, like just let all the hosts <laughs> rule the world and let all right. the humans live in this like virtual simulation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so besides, um, I guess, yeah. So obviously Dolores and Caleb's cr paths both cross, um, because Dolores gets caught sort of with her hand in the cookie jar trying to explore this um, heir to the like Rehoboam throne. Um, and she ends up basically making her escape. Um, and Caleb kind of rescues her. Um, and Caleb is sort of seen, you know, they, they kind of play up. I think his motivation makes a lot of sense. He's sort of this like down on his luck, trying to find his way, nothing to lose kind of guy. And Dolores kind of exploits that. Um, especially by like showing him his like Rehoboam score mm -hmm. to be kind of her, her like human proponent for the revolution. Okay. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. So what, we, are, what so, am I missing so far? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll, we talked about Dolores. We kind of talked about Caleb. Um, mm -hmm. The third, I think, interesting storyline that's happening in this season um, belongs to Bernard. Yeah. Um, and we first meet Bernard as he's living as like some sort of agricultural worker. And I think he's still in like that South Asia sea area because that's where we were told that's where kind of Westworld is. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's living under like this secret name of Armin Delgado and he's like wanted as Westworld's park murderer. And he gets, he gets recognized by these like two fellow workers and kind of goes into his i don't know it's there's a lot of stuff in the show that we certainly don't have time to talk about but yeah. it's um it's interesting that he kind of has that switch where he can kind of go dr jekyll mr hyde on people right um and a cool little tidbit i was reading some stuff 
Armin Delgado. His fake name is an anagram for Damaged Arnold. <laughs> Fun little tidbit that I think yeah. Nolan That's interesting. threw in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but I, I think that we don't really understand kind of Bernard's... I think he's... Of course, everyone's after Dolores, but his his own like path is is always very interesting you never really know what's going on inside bernard's head and i don't think bernard knows what's going on inside his head either um but it seems like for now there's probably more to bernard than what meets the eye and that what we're seeing Mm -hmm. but i think that um he does really well kind of teaming up with stubs who we saw is confirmed a robot. I think that was some suspicion that people had in the first two seasons. And he yeah, also... I think him him helping Dolores escape at the end of season two kind of raised those question marks. Right, and he can also kind of like run these diagnostics on himself. Bernard can, mm-hmm. and that alone raises some questions. But I think moving forward, I definitely, I, I definitely am more interested in Dolores's kind of war path i think um Mm -hmm. she's definitely a better protagonist in this season i kind of got a little tired of her towards the end of season two um now that she's in like the real world and there's a new environment i think she can definitely will be be a little more complex if she's not already Mm -hmm. yeah and i think I think they're still, they've sort of neglected Bernard's storyline, I'd say, somewhat. Well, not neglected, they just kind of underserved it. I think we're due kind of some um, major developments in Bernard's plotline. And of course, the trailer for next week's episode hints at a return of the Man in Black. Um, but another character that has only made somewhat some like minor appearances is Maeve. Um, so she obviously played a pretty large role in helping all the hosts to escape last season. Um, and she basically wakes up in this World War II land, um, or war world, I think is what they refer to it as. Um, and she finds herself in this world with Hector, who was obviously her kind of beau from last season. Although, you know, after a while she realizes that Hector doesn't know it's actually Maeve, that they're just stuck in this loop. Um, and we also discover that Lee is still alive after getting pelted with bullets last season and it's revealed that he is also a host, but then that they're in a simulation mm-hmm. and that, <laughs> that episode kind of like struck a nerve, which is like the one thing I don't like about Westworld is that I feel like the only twists that they can keep in their pocket is like, Oh, this person's a host or, Oh, you're in a simulation. Right. Um, to the point that it sort of have you, has you guessing at every turn. It's like, okay, maybe that person's a host or, the real world is a simulation or something like that. So we got to be careful when um, people put those glasses on that we've seen. And, uh, I know they were messing around with some of the aspect ratios too. Right. um, Where they kind of say it changes when a host realizes that they're in a simulation. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that more like letterbox aspect ratio. Yeah. What did you think about the in season or in episode two, in the lab they Mm -hmm. kind of nod to game of thrones and you have david benioff and db weiss (laughs) as technicians yeah i i thought that was really funny i actually didn't recognize it was the double d's at first Mm -hmm. um but yeah i guess that was like 
George R. R. Martin's brainchild. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know, we just got to put it to rest. Um, I, apparently, that was also like a Jurassic Park reference wrapped in a Game of Thrones reference. Yeah, um, only on the second watch did I hear them actually say something about Costa Rica. I Costa Rica, the first time. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, Westworld is a Michael Crichton um creation as was jurassic park so it only kind of makes sense that they would allude to those two but do you feel like that reference as tiny as it was maybe is some indication about the future of the game of thrones universe on on screen um i'm not sure i i think i guess i guess there's two possibilities um one all the game of thrones took place in a park at westworld <laughs> right um, with you know all the characters actually being robots because um, it is revealed that there's like a medieval world which mm-hmm. was this like fourth out of fifth world right and then you or i guess two delos is now licensing game of thrones to create like their own <laughs> theme park based on the show right um you know like disney has like star wars land now or whatever sure um, but i think if we're if we're going to be crossing hbo franchises i I must suggest we get um, Noho Hang from Barry in here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Barry, I don't know if you caught what I thought was like a pretty blatant theft of a pretty cool shot in Barry, but when Dolores in episode one is basically getting away from the henchmen of this like Rehoboam company, Insight, mm-hmm. um, they use the like futuristic cars dash cam or like um, monitor to show her like basically beating up all these henchmen and it's very much like that uh that lipstick camera that hank uses to capture barry yeah i thought that was kind of uh very similar yeah Um, so i think what we at this point you know going at the end of season three which airs um on sunday nights it what we kind of know i guess is that dolores is Heisenberg and and uh, <laughs> and Aaron Paul is yeah, yeah. Caleb is the Jesse yeah no I, it would be hilarious though if, like her whole big plan to destroy humanity just involves cooking a lot of meth and cooking meth. it tears apart the fabric of society yeah so you know get a robot Saul in there you know see what happens that'd be cool and Mike like a crotchety old mm-hmm. host to help you do her dirty work. <laughs> Right, but um, on a more serious note, um, I think one of the big questions that everyone has is, who is Charlotte Hale actually? We know that Dolores... Because that was a big focal point of episode three. Yeah, and and at the end of season two, we know what we think. So Dolores, she took her little pearl marble and she stuck it inside of Charlotte Hale. But as we know, Mm -hmm. she switched it back into her own body. But now we have this other person i think she had four pearls that she's not yeah so five including her own mm-hmm. one of those was bernard so we know bernard's in his own body you can sort of eliminate that option right unless there's a um, time zone or timeline thing where we get messed up with that's true um which they've done before with the man in black mm-hmm. um but yeah so a lot of the speculation well i think it would be worth it to back up and kind of introduce what exactly charlotte her kind of her story is so season three basically backs up the timeline and shows 
Dolores awakening her and telling her she needs to sort of pilot Charlotte Hale and imitate her and run Delos and basically do Dolores's bidding to help, you know, start this revolution against man. Mm -hmm. Um, And over the course of episode three, we basically see what seems to be like Charlotte's mind sort of creeping back into her host body. So that sort of predatory and very aggressive businesswoman um, starts to come out um, over top of this, what seems like somewhat meek um, and obedient host mind. Um, And so I think that has really what um, got people guessing about who it might be in there. Um, And then at the end of season or episode three, obviously we also see that Charlotte is kind of in cahoots with this Serac character um, who was the one that she was sneaking all the guest data out of Westworld for. Um, So there's kind of questions about who Charlotte Hale really is. And also why did this Serac guy want all of this guest like profile data from the park. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so in terms of Charlotte Hale, do you have any guesses? So, so the scene with her and Dolores seem to indicate to me that whoever it is, they are very close. Mm-hmm. And to me, that leads to Teddy. Um, yeah. so like, did Dolores somehow resurrect Teddy, um, you know, and put him inside the body of charlotte hale um right. with you know with an ex-husband and a child and um anyway it's just i i hope it's teddy because i actually kind of really like teddy as a character and if i had i i just can't think of anyone else that it would be mm-hmm. yeah so I, i've definitely seen this teddy speculation because of their prior relationship Although at the end of season two, wasn't Teddy, his like aggression was turned up a lot, wasn't it? Right. To the point that he was sort of like a psychopathic host killer. Well, like someone Um, that could choke out a dude at a park and steal his dog. Yeah, that's true. But the sense that I got when that happened and when her sort of aggressive side came out was that was Charlotte Hale coming back into it. But yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, some of the more i personally think it could be a sort of a lower profile character um to me her dad peter abernathy sort of makes sense um but yeah i i think there were just moments where i wasn't tr- like 100 percent convinced that she was teddy um and those were the moments where she showed a lot of affect and you know kind of crying over the video of her son or um you know just not Besides that outburst in the park, she was pretty tame and didn't really use a lot of like colorful language. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty strung out on who it might be, but of course I'm sure we'll see a reveal at some point in the season. Um, yeah. And I, think, I guess, sorry, go ahead. Well, my, my other guess besides Teddy was going to be either Angela or Clementine. Um, for those who don't remember, Angela is one of the oldest hosts that was in Westworld. And mm-hmm. um, she interacted with young William, like way back when he first came to the park. Um, but like throughout season two, Angela is seen as, you know, she's like one of Dolores's like most devoted followers 
and she has like a pretty violent streak, I would say, throughout season two as well. Um, and yeah, I'd say out of all the speculation, that Angela seems to make the most sense. My yeah. like my gut reaction when I first saw the first scene of her just like introducing her to her body, like without any reason or rationale, my like my snap judgment went to Clementine. Um, but hearing you talk through it, Angela makes a lot of sense. Well, the only like stitch with Angela is we saw, you know, she was blowing herself up inside the cradle with a grenade. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Westworld, like, is anyone really dead? Like, how do you, how do you judge that sort of thing? Sure. Um, and we seemingly saw Dolores somewhat furtively create like copies of these control units. Um, so that almost makes you wonder, could it be any litany of the characters that we've seen in previous seasons? Yeah, that's true. Um, even, I mean, there was that like post credit scene after season two where the man in black has the, that sort of like fidelity conversation with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost makes you think they're also on the table for someone that could potentially be in Charlotte's body. Um, and again, I think that speaks to the sort of like anybody can be a host or anybody can be in a simulation cop out. Right. It's like, you don't really know. And they can just spring it on you at any time. Yeah. So I think some like final thoughts is that, you know, Westworld is somewhat up to its old tricks that, you know, we kind of talked about that where they introduce this mystery without giving away the answer. Um, and, and I think that we're definitely going to find out who's inside Charlotte's body soon enough. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think regardless, I found the first three episodes pretty compelling. I was quite confused after the first one. Yeah, um, same. But I think to me, the most interesting thing is that story between Dolores and Charlotte. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in episode three, we definitely see like an almost maternal side to Dolores. How she's kind of like forced to take care of of whoever is inside Charlotte's body. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think if Dolores's end game is really like wiping out humanity to like bring about like this robot uprising that she's just like now kind of navigating her way through, I guess like her role as like a mother host. Sure. And I think that's like a fascinating and kind of refreshing role for Dolores um, to play. Sure. And so let me pause it kind of a, a question to you obviously you know Maeve sort of teams up with this Serac character who we know created the Rehoboam um, is seemingly the richest man of, in the world with a net worth of over a trillion dollars apparently um, and Serac basically wants Maeve's help in hunting and killing Dolores do we consider Serac the bad guy in this situation are they both at fault like who where, what sides are they on you know obviously they're kind of pitting against each other. Yeah. So, so at first I had the, uh, the thought that Maeve and Sirach's conversations are during a different time. Hmm. Um, about the war that's happening. It's already been lost. He needs her help. Um, but I think, moreover with the season or episode three's final twist is that Charlotte was working for Ciroc all along. Mm-hmm. 
and it kind of adds more intrigue to whatever the show has planned for this character as like it's big bad which i i think that's kind of what they're pushing um because the show with we we've seen two like actual robots that you would like if you think of robot that's what you would see and they put a really big emphasis on making the viewer like feel sad that these robots were killed one mm-hmm. the mave one that she was trying to use to escape and then yeah. Aaron Paul's who falls off the rooftop to his death like, like those construction are construction buddy you know, those are very sad ways and that's kind of the writers kind of pushing the viewer into kind of taking the side of the robots where yeah. you have Serac fighting for humanity sure yeah so it's not entirely black and white um mm-hmm. And I think you made a you made a point there, but I think there's an important distinction that you said that Charlotte has been working for Serac the entire time. The Charlotte, like host Charlotte, kind of gets dropped into Charlotte's real life, um, and so she's kind of discovering it on her own. And I think that's one of the, thing, the things she discovers, besides you know having a family or like yeah. the, the business dealings of Delos. She's sort of like learning as she goes. And I don't think it's that host Charlotte was working for Serac. It's like previously human Charlotte was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, um, I, I worried a little bit that the series might suffer from kind of introducing like a new outside antagonist here. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that episode three did a pretty good job of making the case that the Serac character has kind of been a, a presence all along. We just didn't know it like yeah. throughout season one and two. Much like most of those kind of world-dominating figures. Um, right, and that's... An, uh, an, one last thing um, that kind of speaks to in season two, we find out that there are six parks that Westworld has. That's right. I um, said five earlier. Yeah. So it's interesting to find out what this sixth park is, which is kind of leading to people to believe that this real world, that real world that we're seeing isn't actually the real world because, yeah. you know, we have Westworld, we have the fuel Japan, we had war world, um, you have like Raj, like Indian Raj, world. and then we had the um, Game of Thronesy, whatever they medieval call it, world. Medieval world. So there's still one world that we do not know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I wonder if we'll get there, you know, through the course of the season. Yeah. Um, I do want to kind of just—I know we're kind of wrapping up, but I wanted to backtrack to something you mentioned about Serac. Yeah, of course. Um, mentioning that this war you know, the war has already happened or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you alluding that there might be different timelines. Do you feel like time travel is another mind bending subject that the producers, the showrunners might throw into this? Well, it's interesting uh, because what we saw from episode one, right off the bat was one of the owners in China was having a conversation with an associate and mm-hmm. it isn't revealed until later in that conversation that that person wasn't actually there. Yeah. That, and that's, and that's why I said earlier, kind of be aware of people who are wearing glasses and what they might be seeing. Right. That maybe there is some sort of time travel or some sort of hologram stuff that's kind of thrown around where we see something that we think is presently happening, but maybe it was from a different time or from a different location all in the world. See, I never got that sense that it was a different time because they're having like real time conversations. Um, well, just the fact that when Dolores was in his house, she mm-hmm. kind of was able to throw 
people from his past in his face. She was able to completely change That's his true. house into a city. So what we see was completely not real. It was we were inside some dude's house and his ex-wife was walking around and we were in some downtown city. Mm-hmm. So maybe not like a time travel but we might be seeing something that's not actually yeah. happening presently. And that is that is one thing I've enjoyed about this season is watching uh you know the host basically poke holes in infrastructure developed by humans and sort of pointing out how like <laughs> how lazy humans are. Like Maeve seemingly escapes her simulation by just throwing complicated math problems at it. Yeah. Um and like Dolores just like hacks into the mainframe which is like kind of like the movie uh, version of what I, you know, it's like kind of the common movie phrase, but, and then just like has total control all of this to, over all this technology. Right. Um, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So I think next, um, next week we will have episode four. I don't know how many, did they mention how many episodes are in season three? So I don't believe they've talked about, they've confirmed a number yet. We know that episode four is up happening obviously, cause there's a trailer and I know that there are two other episodes that have already been named, but that's not necessarily to say that there are only six episodes in this season. Um, gotcha. I think both previous seasons ran eight episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I would assume probably something very similar, especially if they're thinking about a season four. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Yeah. So Next week, um, we'll probably try to get back to a regular schedule of recording just so we can have more of these out for you. Um, yeah. But we might touch on a little bit of Westworld. We might kind of just do what we did this time, kind of maybe wait for um, – we'll release something next weekend, and then we'll kind of wait for more Westworld episodes to happen so we kind of talk about them um, all at once instead of kind of going episode by episode, week by week. Um, mm-hmm. Unless, of course – someone wants that then you can just let us know um and we can certainly try to pay more attention and a little bit more detailed um but for now i think that's going to wrap it up for us um definitely don't forget to send in that listener mail we enjoy reading those we enjoy answering those for you you can do that um either on twitter at c2c podcasting or on our anchor page at anchor.fm slash coast podcast so for this week we will uh talk at you next time all right see you then bye